how it lights my path, how it guides my way. I'm going to read from Luke 12, verse Luke, uh, Luke 10, verse 1. The 70 sent out. Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt. No bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat what is set before you, and heal those in it who are sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And for Capernaum will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see, for I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Amen.
Let's pray for Debbie. Lord, thank you for what you have laid on Debbie's heart and what you have convicted her to say and prepare. Lord, I pray that you will help us to receive it humbly, Lord, with open hearts, Lord, and mull it over and reflect on it in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. You may have noticed that we have now dived back into our journey through Luke, which we continued, but we hopped backwards over the Christmas time. We went back to the beginning of Luke and looked at the Christmas story appropriately in those weeks. But before that, we had journeyed through to chapter 9. And so here we are today, diving back into chapter 10, and we're going to continue on in our journey with Luke over the next few weeks. And so we're picking up at this passage where Jesus is looking out at the crowd of people who are starting to gather to him as his disciples. And he has already appointed the 12 who are going to be his apostles, his disciples, taking out his word, working with him to bring in the kingdom of Jesus alongside him. He's already appointed those people. But then here we have this other appointing It says in verse 1, the Lord Jesus appointed 70 others. And I want us to think this morning about the 70 that are being sent out in this place and the sending, the commissioning that Jesus is giving them. They're challenging words, aren't they, that Jesus goes on to say He's sending these people out, these followers, these disciples of his. He's sending them out into the world, into various cities round about to bring his good news, to bring a consciousness of who Jesus is to the people. It says that they went out ahead of Jesus. So Jesus was going to follow on after these 70 had gone out in their pairs, in their little groups, um, if you like, into the neighbouring cities and towns. Jesus was going to follow on with his disciples, his crack team, if you like. They were going to come on in afterwards. But these guys were going out, preparing the ground, preaching the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus and demonstrating the power of it in these neighbouring towns, cities, or maybe not so neighbouring, maybe further afield. And I want us to picture this scene a little bit like the Lord Jesus is standing in front of us this morning and, uh, you know, there's maybe about 70 people-ish around here today and that he gathered us and said, okay, Ichthus Forest Hill, I am sending you out now on a short-term mission trip into the cities of the UK. Let's see it like that. I wonder how you would be feeling in this moment right now. I reckon some of you would be like, yes, I'm raring to go. Hands up, who's raring to go? There we go. I knew there'd be at least some in the room who are up for it. (laughs) Here, let's go for the mission trip. Others of us would be thinking, (laughs) that's not me. Others of us would be thinking, that's just not my thing. I am not the mission kind And uh, that's kind of a job for, surely that's a job for the 12 disciples. I mean, that's what they were picked for in the first place. These are the guys who go out with the gospel into all the earth. That's their job, isn't it? 
Um, But here Jesus has gathered this wider group. And I want us to think a little bit about who those people were and who we are and whether Jesus might not be commissioning us actually in a more similar way than we might like to always imagine and think. Because I think it's very easy for us to read these verses and think they apply to other people and to certain types of people and in a very certain context. But I want us to reimagine it this morning as we go along. And I want us to think, you can click on to the next slide, that Jesus is talking here about short-term mission teams. And that more than that, that if we're looking at this in the flow of Jesus' ministry and life, that this was a deliberate strategy that Jesus believes in. Can I say that again? That short-term mission teams are a deliberate, conscious, divinely inspired, strategic move that Jesus thinks is a good thing in getting his gospel out to the very ends of the earth. He believes in it. He sends these guys out in just that way. When I was looking for images and things, I found this book. I'm not actually recommending it because I, can't, I haven't read it. But there was something about the cover, I just put it up there, <laughs> that made me just smile. Because it just looked like this person, Matthew Backholer is his name. Um, it looked like this person was really confident that he knew that he could cover every angle of short-term mission teams and tell you how to run the perfect one. And I was looking at that bus and thinking, yes, a coach, that is a key component for these things. But... But, um, and then it just kind of made me laugh, so I put the contrasting image here, which is what Jesus describes the short-term mission team as in the early verses. Behold, I am sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. And I was kind of thinking of the, you know, just the juxtaposition, really, of here's the perfect short-term mission team. Jesus is like, no, you're just like little lambs amongst some ravaging wolves. But you'll be okay. <laughs> you'll be okay, because I'm with you. But genuinely, Jesus' strategy in short-term teams, and I'm going to defend why I'm calling it that, what we're talking about here this morning, I believe it is a powerful one. When you get to the end of those verses that Walter was reading, don't we hear some incredibly powerful things? Ordinary people like you and I, I believe, sitting, sitting there in front of Jesus. Jesus says, okay, guys, come together. I'm going to organize you into some little teams. Out you go into the cities. Bring my good news to those people. Come back and tell me about it at the end because they all come back at the same time for the debrief, all right? It's a short-term strategy. They're not going off for the rest of their lives. That's not how Jesus is describing here. These are not people who have given up their jobs forever and are moving on to the mission field and going into the depths of China somewhere or going into the depths of wherever, this way, South America somewhere. Those are not those people. This group of 70, we're not told that they continue on doing this every week for the rest of their lives or every month or even every year. We don't know that they ever gathered exactly in the same way again than they did on this occasion. But Jesus got them together for a specific purpose. It was not super long term. That's why he's saying to them things like, don't take loads of money with you. You don't need that. This is not a long term scheme. You're going to go out and you're going to come back. 
Don't pack masses of bags and travel around with your own resources on your back. You're going to be okay because this is short term, okay? And you're going to go and people are going to give you some hospitality. You're going to turn up in a city. Somebody will look after you for a while. Not forever, not for years and years, just for a time. They'll bring you into their home. They'll give you some food. And that's why Jesus is saying to them, you don't need big old shoes because you're not going to be walking up lots and lots and lots of mountains. You might have to walk over one or two, but you don't need these kind of physical, strong resources. You're going to be okay. I'm going to supply what you need for this short-term experience. You understand? And then he says, don't go look at, don't think about this like something that is um, a nice holiday for you. Think short-term, strategic, now. Get the most out of every single moment that you can possibly get out of it. That's why he says things like, don't greet people on the road. It's not about, this is not a word for all time for our lives that we're supposed to be really unfriendly people and never speak to anybody we meet in the street. Of course, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's talking to a short-term mission team and preparing them. And he's saying... Don't waste the time that we've got, short space of time. Don't waste it by chit-chatting on the roadside. Think about this with a focus. You've got an aim. You've got something to get done. You've got some work to do. So focus on that. Don't get distracted by the people you meet along the way. Go for it with the message that I've given you for this short time. You can't live your life like this every single day forever. But for this mission, think about it like that. And don't go around looking for the best houses to stay in so that you get the best meals. And that's why he says, don't go from house to house to house sort of looking for a better accommodation situation, you know. The first person who opened their doors to you, perhaps they don't have the softest beds. So we'll just move on to the next person in town who lets us stay with them. Maybe they've got better food to put on the table. Maybe they've got a nice swimming pool in their back garden or something like that. You can have a good time along the way. He's saying, don't look at it like that you understand this is the context of these words that we have to understand he's saying it's not about you having a nice time (laughs) you've focused you've got a mission to accomplish you've got a work to do and that work that Jesus was commissioning them with was incredibly effective when they come back at the end of those verses for the debrief it says they were all overjoyed Jesus was overjoyed and Jesus said something absolutely incredible. He said, while you guys were out, I watched Satan falling from his high position in the heavenly realms. I saw spiritual breakthrough happening because you guys went out, you ordinary little lambs, ill-equipped, not with masses of finances, not with loads of great things to look after you, like heavy shoes on your feet or roof over your head, not with a promise of amazing food every day. Maybe you're going to go a bit hungry some days because the person you're staying with hasn't got too many resources themselves. Not with any of those things to bolster you and help you out. Still, ordinary people like you and me, Going into this strategy with Jesus' work behind us, Satan's crumbling. His kingdom is being shaken up. We're not told necessarily even, if you look at the verses, that loads and loads and loads of people became Christians through this mission, as we might understand it. 
We're not told that loads and loads of people said, yes, I'm now a believer in Jesus. I'm sure they did. I'm sure there were people responding. But we're not even told that. What we are told is that Jesus was going to do the follow-up. And I wonder if most of that happened in that time when Jesus and his disciples went along afterwards to those same cities and those same towns, you understand, and moved in and said, okay, guys, this is what they were talking about. It's me. And then people started to put their faith in him because the ground had been prepared. The heavens had been shaken up. Stuff had been broken open in the spiritual realms by what they had done that Jesus could testify to. He saw it happening. And they, of course, saw it too. They saw the demons fleeing. They saw that there was a spiritual impact from these mission adventures. Ordinary people like you and me, little lambs, in the face of these huge ravaging wolves. I wonder how many here in this room today have done a short-term mission, Christian mission for Jesus sometime in their lives. I want you just for a moment to stretch your legs and stand to your feet. It's just because I just want to see who you are just for a moment and let other people look around and see who you are. Yep, you've been away somewhere for a short or long period of time. Look, there's a lot of them. Okay, you can sit down now. <laughs> I might get you to stand up again a bit, bit later on. But you've done something where you've gone. Maybe it was a really short one. Maybe it was just like a couple of days. Maybe it was a week or a few weeks. Maybe it was a few months. Some of us might have even gone for a bit longer. But you've gone somewhere. Maybe it was miles away over the other side of the waters somewhere. Maybe it was just down the road in your local town or your local neighbourhood. Maybe it was in the next town or city in the UK, whatever. But in some way, you've gone with a commission, a bit like this, in your heart from Jesus. Together with others, Jesus sent them out in their pairs, but he sent the whole lot out sort of together in one go. You've gone and you're standing like those songs that we were singing earlier on. You've been stood shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. You've understood what it means to be part of a team together and to try to accomplish something for him. That is the joy of a short-term mission. You have a clear focus. You're like, okay, we're going to go to Stockport and we're just, while we're there for the week, we are going to tell as many people as we can about how good Jesus is. And we're going to do it in different ways. We might do it with practical service as well as through preaching and words. We might invite people to stuff. We might hand things out on the street. We might do all sorts of different things, but there's a focus and you're doing it together and you're part of a team. And in that context, I want to suggest to you something so powerful is happening for the gospel of Jesus and the um, end vision that Jesus has that this gospel that he brought into the earth by his coming as a baby his growing as a human being his ministry through his um, adult years his death on the cross his resurrection his ascension back into heaven that this gospel that he brought in is going to be taken out to the very ends of the earth this kind of experience where Four, uh, um, 70 people get gathered together and sent out in little teams to do some work for him and then come home again and probably return to their fairly ordinary lives again. That this is super strategic for the wider purposes, but also for the people who did it. Hands up, little hand up, who went on a team and in some way you know it changed your life and your faith in some way, shape or form. Probably all of us 
would say something like that. I know sometimes there are some not so good experiences out there, but for most of us, it changes your heart and life. And I know that I might be fairly biased in talking like this. And really, my message this morning is very simple. I want to share to us with us this morning because I want to encourage us to think about how we are going to respond to a call like this from Jesus and do something that is a short-term mission push for him in our lives if we want to be disciples of Jesus and go as far as we possibly can with him, follow him in all the ways that he might want us to. Whoever we are, whatever you think your personality might be, I want to encourage and challenge us to think, how can I get something of that experience in my life? Okay. And it might be that you go on a big organised team. It might be that you join the ICTHA Summer Project at the end of July, at the beginning of July this year. It might be that you do one of the City on a Hill missions and get involved in that. It might even only be because it's all that you could put, perhaps manage that you come out on a church on the street one Saturday morning. It's like a very, very mini mission. They're always better when they've got at least one night in them, I think, because you know, you've got a kind of build up then. What we find at church on the street is that after about an hour of being out there, that's when things start to really kick in. And then that's about when you're going to go home again afterwards. Um, it take, it's that build up that's a good thing. So, you know, a bit longer than that. But if that's all you can manage, I want to challenge us. And I'm just going to say a couple of things before we close this morning to pray that it will stir in our hearts. But first of all, I wanted to say, I know I might be biased in seeing Jesus' words this morning in this way. Because for me, as a young Christian, when I was in my teens, um, my early teens, I was kind of co-opted into a short-term mission trip. And I didn't really even understand what I was doing when I went on this mission trip that was organised for young people. I kind of thought that it was just going to be a fun sort of church youth holiday Um, And I didn't really understand quite how cutting-edge, cold-contact evangelism it was going to be. And uh, in the first week that we had together as these young people, we were learning songs and dances that we were going to perform on street corners in Wales, sunny Wales. That's the exotic place that I went to, first of all. Um, And uh, share the gospel of Jesus with people. And I didn't really understand it. It was dawning on me during the preparation week what we were actually going to do. And I I want to share this story because I want to say it's not that I was born to like stand on street corners and tell people about Jesus. It's not that I love approaching strangers and uh, starting up conversations about spiritual life and faith with them. It's not that that is my personality, however much you might not want to believe that. That is the truth. I was as horrified about doing this as any of you sitting here might be as well if you suddenly realised what you'd signed up for. I was a normal-ish teenager at 14 years old and I did not want to look somebody in the eye that I'd never met before and have a straightforward conversation with them, frankly, let alone about life and faith and things that are kind of in here and private and I'm not really sure about myself yet. And yet somehow in the midst of this thing that we did, this team that was sent out, 
I, my very first time on the streets, we did our songs and dances. That was okay. People were watching. They clapped. And then at the end, the horrifying bit where we were all sent out in pairs to the crowd to talk to them about what we'd been singing about and what we'd been talking about. And I went with my little partner, who was 11 and I was 14. <laughs> and we t- and we, so she was no help. And we went to talk to this woman. I was trying desperately to wait for the crowd to diminish and all go off so there would be no one to talk to, but it wasn't working. And so I had to go over and there was this lady standing there and all I did, literally like this, I just went, I didn't even look at her properly. I just went up to her because I had to do it because here we are and I've got to do it and they might not give me any dinner tonight if I don't do it. And I said... Did you enjoy the singing? And then I looked up and I looked into her face and there were these tears running down this woman's face. This ordinary lady with her shopping bags that she'd put down on the floor. And she just said, I don't know what it is, but I was just listening to what you were singing. And And suddenly I just felt like for the first time in a long time that God was near to me that he was real, I wasn't sure before. She just started talking like this. I've been, and I was just standing there like, (laughs) what is this? And, you know, eventually I was just able to find some words and I just said, well, I think maybe that's the Holy Spirit has been touching you and can I pray for you? And she said, yes, pray for me and I pray for this lady in the street. And, you know, I don't know if she became a Christian or came back to the Lord or whatever. I don't really know. The conversation kind of finished and she went on her way. But what I do know is I walked away from that encounter. My whole life had changed. My whole faith had been totally turned upside down because of that moment. Because suddenly, for me, what I understood in that moment was that God was interested, not just interested, strategically invested, I want to say, in taking somebody like me, an ordinary person, putting his spirit inside of me, giving me a bit of courage and a bit of guts that I didn't have before, putting me in that position, and then through me and my very, very inadequate words, coming through with his spirit into somebody else's life and helping them to know that God loved them and was there for them and was real and actually does works in people's lives and actually wants to reach people who've been wandering away from him. And he wanted to use me to do that, that that was his pleasure, his desire. And all of a sudden, my relationship with God totally changed. And I was saying to the Lord, Lord, if this is actually what it is to be a Christian, rather than just trying to do the right thing all the time and be a nice person, which somehow that's how it was working in my brain to that point, I've just got to be nice and good. And actually, it didn't make a lot of sense because there's a lot of other nice and good people out there too. And they're not Christians, so I'm not really sure of the difference. As a teenager, this is how it feels in your brain but suddenly I understood but it's not really just about that those are the beautiful byproducts what it is is God is interested in taking hold of a life like mine putting his power inside of it and touching somebody else's helping somebody else to come to know him bringing somebody else into his kingdom giving a blessing to somebody else touching somebody else, helping them to feel a little bit better than they did yesterday by the supernatural power of God. That's what he wants to do with you and me. And the thing is, sometimes in our ordinary day-to-day lives, we don't give him much of a chance to show us how powerful that moment can be. 
And that's why getting away on a team like that, where you focus and you think and you say, this is what I'm set apart to do, somehow it gives the Lord an opportunity to show us things in a deeper way, to help us to step out in faith in bigger ways than we ever would have done. It gives him a chance for his power to move because there was nothing moving or important or impactful about my 14-year-old self standing with a lady with her shopping bags. There was nothing apart from God was there. He was in it. He was with me because he always promises to be when we do these things, when we take these opportunities, when we step out in faith in these ways. And I believe that was what was going on as Jesus gathered these 70 people in front of him and commissioned them with these words into this experience. He knew that they weren't going to be like the 12 who were going to do this for the rest of their lives and every single day and go out into really far-flung places. He knew they weren't going to be them, but he knew too that if they took the opportunity to test whether his power would be with them, if they went, that it would revolutionize their life on the ground, in their workplace day by day, in their school, in their college, in their education, in their home, in their family, in their ordinary day-to-day life. It would revolutionize their understanding of what their life was about in those places. Because I know that it's not just the missionaries going out into the world who feel like lambs amongst wolves. It's all of us here, isn't it? Every day, when you go into your workplace or when you talk with your neighbours, don't you sometimes feel like that? You feel vulnerable, exposed, that, that things are hostile out there to the message of Jesus that you carry inside. We all feel like that. But as we get these experiences under our belt, we find Jesus is doing mighty works. Not only are our lives being turned upside down, but Satan is falling from the heavenly places. His hold on people's lives is being released. And I just want to say a couple of things. I'm going to wrap up in the next few minutes. But I just want to say a couple of things about these 70. Because... Some translations of our Bible might even say that there were 72. (laughs) I think some, like the NIV, I think, says 72. There are different manuscripts for those who get bothered by those sorts of things. And some of the manuscripts say there were 72, and some say there were 70. And the translations that pick 70 for their um, number, it's probably because 70 is such a symbolic number. And I'm sure that that was in Jesus' mind as he gathered 70, whether it was 70 or 72. That number is symbolic. And I want to say it's symbolic for three reasons. And I want us to think about those three things in our lives. First of all, that 70 number is symbolic because in the Old Testament, every good Jew would know Moses got to a point in his life and his ministry with God when he felt he couldn't cope anymore. He couldn't do all the work that was necessary. And God gave him a strategy. 
Again, I want to express to you, this was not just a human idea. We might think that as human beings um, and good managers and organisers, this is the sort of idea we'd come up with. Oh, Leslie's got far too much work on her plate, so why don't we give her some other people that she can appoint and commission to do that work? Yes, it's a great human strategy, but we are told in the Old Testament, we are told in the book of Numbers that God himself gave that strategy. He said to Moses, in response to Moses saying, I've got too much work on my plate, God said, okay, call together 70 elders. And then he said, and the spirit I've given you, Moses, I will take that and put it on those people. In other words, they'll carry something of the same anointing and the same power and the same ability that they might not have otherwise had in the same way. They'll carry that too and they will kind of spread the work that you're trying to do further than you can do just as one person. And in the same way, that's what Jesus was doing. He'd already anointed and appointed his 12, but there's not enough of them. Not to reach the very ends of the earth. We're going to have to see that reproduced. We're going to need people gathered who can take the work further and further and further. Not just on special mission trips, but also in their day-to-day lives as they live them out wherever they are. But they need to carry that same spirit. They need to catch that same fire. Otherwise, their life will just go back to the ordinary-looking kind of life that they had before, right? So you're going to need something to kickstart this anointing and appointing. And Moses did it with the 70 elders, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. They prophesied. They became prophetic preachers if you like, alongside Moses throughout the people of Israel and they carried the work of God through their prophetic preaching and speaking and proclaiming. And Jesus too is looking at us here this morning and saying, I want to take an opportunity to give my Holy Spirit to you so that you become prophetic preachers, that you become confident that when you speak words, not just from a soapbox in Trafalgar Square or not just from a pulpit somewhere, but just with your friend and your neighbour and the person around you, that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you carry the powerful words of Jesus, that spirit that is on him to bring the good news and, and land in people's lives. It's in you too. It's in your words, it's in your sharing, it's in your voice. Some of us don't know it and we don't believe it because we've never tested it. I can say confidently to you, I know that words that I speak and words that you guys speak can carry the very Spirit of God. I know it fully. Why? Because I've been out when there was nothing else around me to create a great spiritual atmosphere. I've followed the words of Jesus in those commissioning moments on these short-term teams or longer-term teams. I've, I've been in that space and the Lord has met me and filled it because I could, didn't have anything else of my own to rely on. You understand? So I was able to test it. And now I can bring it back to my everyday and say, you know, I tested it out there. It's going to be true here too when I speak to Tina next door. It's going to be true. His spirit can move. And that's what they were gaining and gathering. It was a prophetic anointing. If we look at Moses, that's part of what Jesus was doing. He was also, I'm sure, drawing from the imagery of the 70 members of the Sanhedrin. 
the Jewish law court that gathered in Jesus' day. This is not something that the Old Testament laid down, but it was a structure that came later amongst the Jews. They gathered a special court of important elders and respected people amongst the Jewish community. And they were wise people, they were mature people, they were people who were meant to understand the scriptures and understand what God was doing with people of Israel. And they would have the job of bringing judgments, making important decisions for the whole community of Israel. And there were 70 members of that Sanhedrin, based on the fact that there were 70 elders that Moses gathered too. And so again, as Jesus is looking out at his crowd, then he says, yeah, I'm going to get 70. And he's saying in that work, these are 70 who I want to invest some training in to help them be wise, to help them grow, to help them be like pillars in the church community as time goes on. You understand? I'm going to grow them through this experience. I'm going to invest in them. I'm going to help them to be those who are wise, who others look to, who others think, yeah, you know what? I've got some problems with my faith in Jesus. I'm going to talk to so-and-so because I know that they are a wise person. Why? Because they've been through some training. They've been through some stuff. With Jesus, again, they've put their faith to the test. They've put it in the difficult context and seen the Lord come through. And these are the sorts of people Jesus was wanting to gather and usher and release. This opportunity was going to accelerate the personal growth and character of those individuals so that the church was not just full of a, like a, a number of young Um, baby Christians looking up to those 12 apostles who had all the knowledge because they'd spent all the time with Jesus. No, it's not like that anymore. Jesus has invested in lots of us and he's given us all lots of training and we've got something to bring and I've got something to give and you've got something to give and we've got some wisdom and we've grown and the church therefore can continue to fulfill its calling. And the last thing it's symbolic of those 70 Gentile nations. Those 70 people, I'm sure that Jesus gathered them deliberately because in the Jewish mindset, there was Israel and then there was all the other nations of the world. And symbolically, they would sum that up as 70 other nations. And this is because if you go back to Genesis chapter 10, the Bible tells us that Noah's descendants gave rise to all of the other people groups and nations around the world and when you count very carefully the number of people that are descended from Noah in that chapter there are 70 so they kind of had a picture of the rest of the world 70 nations all descended from Noah so when a Jewish person in Jesus day heard the number 70 they're immediately thinking of the nations of the world the whole earth the whole completion of world evangelization, the whole completion of the Great Commission, the gospel reaching the very ends, the last people of those 70 nations, every single person getting a chance to hear. And as Jesus gathered those 70, he was not only saying, this is beyond Israel, (laughs) this is bigger than just Israel, this is for the whole world. He was saying, and you guys are going to carry it there. And the only way you're going to get to the very ends of the earth is if you know that my power is with you. 
And in these verses, as Jesus sends them out, he talks about the power ministries. He says, as you go into these towns and cities, heal their sick. Pray for that healing power to be released. There is power and energy and thrust to get this gospel out right to the ends of the earth. We're going to need some power if we're going to get it all that way. But the whole world was in Jesus' mind as he picked those 70 and sent them out. Because he knew that that strategic short-term mission was going to multiply and multiply, and spread, and catch, and move, and go a bit further next time, and go a bit further next time, and go a bit further next time, until every single nation in the world have been reached. And so I want to close with this final thought about the fruit. And I want to encourage us That these words of Jesus sending us out into his world with his good news, but with his power, sending us out as prophets who speak powerful words for him, sending us out as wise and mature Christians who've seen our faith come through in some difficult circumstances, sending us out with power to see miracles and lives transformed and changed. That as we do that, there is beautiful fruit. The first fruit that is mentioned is that those 70, they all came back with joy. Actually, not one of them came back and said, I had a really bad experience and I don't want to do it anymore. They came back with joy. They rejoiced because they could see that they were making a spiritual impact. I'm sure there were difficult times, but they could see that things were shifting in the spiritual realms. But not only that, perhaps even more amazingly, Jesus rejoiced. It says that Jesus rejoiced when they came back. That made me smile when I was thinking about it. It made me think maybe Jesus was also slightly doubtful as to whether this would be a successful mission or not. And he was really relieved. Oh, thank you, Father. Even these uh, unintelligent and simple people are able to accomplish your works. It's kind of what he says at the end, isn't it? But I think Jesus' joy as the gospel goes out is a beautiful thing. And we want to be pleasing to him, don't we? And we want to be able to carry the beauty of his grace with us and make him happy, make him pleased, make him delighted. And finally, if you go out with this gospel, you're going to come back with a new way to pray. And that's where I want to finish this morning. It says in verse 2, Jesus was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into his harvest. Pray for 
the mission of God to be completed. Pray for the gospel to get to the ends of the earth. Pray for the people who will have the courage to share with their friends and their neighbours and the people around them in their lives. Pray, pray for it, people of God. And the thing is that once you've been involved in it, once you've stepped out in it, once you've done it yourself in that um, faith-stretching way, you will pray about it in a whole other way. You will carry the mission of God in your heart. Maybe some of us are quite cold and dead when it comes to evangelism. Actually, we really don't care very much about the things that are on Jesus' heart. But Jesus cares that people around this world are dying without his knowledge, dying without his love, dying without his salvation presence. He cares about it. He carries that in his heart. And when we've stepped out with him in it, just for a few minutes, just for a short-term moment, just for a week or so, and we come back, we start to pray in a whole different way. Our spirit is carrying this thing now. I met those people in Wales. I met those people in Turkey. I met those people wherever it was I went and I saw how much they needed Jesus. And even if I can't go every day of my life because I've got a life here, I am going to pray. I am going to pray for the harvest field. I'm going to pray for the laborers that will go out into it. I'm going to pray that the person next to me will take up their opportunity to do that in the coming days and weeks. I'm going to pray that we will grow to be the kinds of people that Jesus wants to gather together as his 70 as part of his strategy to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm going to be part of it. Whether I go, whether I stay, whether I pray, I'm going to be a part of it. And that's why Jesus said these words in part all those years ago. So I'm going to pray for us. Let's just take a moment to respond. Lord Jesus, first of all, I want to pray that you will stir in each of us a desire to test our faith in this kind of context. Even if we've never done it before, even if it horrifies us, that you will stir in us the desire to test our faith, even if we only do it once, (laughs) that we get out and we put into practice the things you said in this passage. We carry a heart to share good news with somebody in another place that we've never met before and to see the shift in the heavenlies that takes place when we do that. Lord, put it in our hearts. Stir us that we can all be those people. Lord, we may not do it every day for the rest of our lives, but we can do it and see you come through and carry a greater understanding then of the great commission you've given us. Lord, I pray that every person will be quickened to take the opportunities that are around them to do that. And Lord, I pray for those who already know the joy of those opportunities. I want to pray, Lord, that they will pray, Lord, with a deeper fervour and passion. Pray for the rest of the church that we might all want to get in on that 70. We might all want to be part of that great move of God. We might all want to be part of carrying your good news to the rest of this world. I pray that those of us who know we already are part of it, that we would pray for those around us, that we would seek to inspire them, that we will share our stories and our experiences and bring inspiration and bring motivation to one another. 
And Lord, I pray most importantly that we would be a congregation that make you rejoice, (laughs) just like you do in this passage when those guys came back. You had such joy. Lord, I long to see you rejoicing over your people here in Ichthus Forest Hill like that, saying, yes, these simple little lambs, they went and did something mighty for my kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that bring joy to your heart as we take bold steps in the coming year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let your living word abide in me so richly as I abide in you. Let your living